1: always thank you for joining me on another edition of the program we've got a whole lot to get to today here on the show i'm gonna tell you what i mean you look at the nba and the nba finals and the celtics have put themselves in a good position i mean i thought i mean i really thought that the warriors would win this series in six that's obviously not going to happen now When I look at the Celtics, and and the Celtics put themselves in great position after the victory, uh, when you look at that game uh, on Wednesday in game three, put themselves in great position. Yes, the Warriors came around third quarter. Uh, The Warriors were tough as they always were in the third quarter, but but the Celtics hung around. Even though the Warriors took a bit of a lead there at, at one point in the third quarter, the Celtics still... Hung around. It wasn't like game one when the Warriors outscored the Celtics 38 to 24. Wasn't like that at all. The uh, Celtics really hung around but put themselves because to me it, it didn't. It, I, I thought that the, the flow of that game in particular, I thought that the Warriors really needed to had needed to have more of a dominating third quarter. Uh, they did not. Uh, they won the quarter, no doubt, but the Celtics hung around. And then, you know, you look at the three stars of the Celtics. Two of the stars are under 25 years old. And, uh, you know, you look at Marcus Smart and what he's able, has has been able to accomplish. And then you look at the Warriors. Yeah, you got the big three in the Warriors. You know, I think Poole, Jordan Poole just hasn't been consistent. Klay Thompson clearly isn't the same player. He can still, you know, he can do some things, but he clearly isn't the same dominating player, especially on the D I think, I think where the Warriors are getting hurt. Not only are the Warriors a, a smaller team than the Lakers, and the Warriors are getting hurt right there, but you also have a situation where your guards, if you're the Warriors, from a defensive standpoint. I mean, you can go to work all day. There are mismatches all over the floor for the Celtics, and I think the Celtics have put themselves in a, a, in a great situation. We've, of course, got Game Five uh, to contend with on Sunday in Golden in San Francisco. Go back to to San Francisco, so I think the Celtics are uh, in, in pretty good shape. A, a whole lot going on in the sports world. A couple of things I want to talk about. I wanna talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. I wanna talk about that and the sexual allegations that he has gotten now from 66 women. Now, there was a New York Times article that came out, and I read the entire article. I heard about the article. I I tried not to listen to any of the commentary before I had a chance to read the article uh, in its entirety and in its context. And I'm going to tell you what, there are some revelations that came out in this particular article. Um, and by the way, when you think about the New York Times, I mean, the New York Times is extremely reputable. So if the New York Times, is, I mean, like if the New York Times comes out with an article and the New York Times is saying. What it's saying, and I invite you to read the article and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of what was in the article, uh, you know, the two to me, the two most reputable newspapers that there are around uh and and of course you're gonna have sometimes where and listen the new york times i mean it's, it's been found at times not to be reputable reputable at all right but generally speaking and i think with something like this and the thing that made this not only were there 66 women when originally over a 17 month period originally when Deshaun Watson and his lawyer uh, and lawyers said there were less than that, much less than that. Um, But now we've had uh, another woman come forward. Is that now 24 lawsuits against Deshaun Watson? 24 now. And when I read some of the details, I mean, these were graphic. The details a lot of times were graphic in nature. Uh, They some of them. Some of the encounters, I think three of them, did actually involve uh, a sexual relationship between Deshaun Watson and the accuser. And, uh, you know, I, I, there weren't any rape allegations, but it did include that there was a lot of, you know, sexual talk, uh, especially at least in the article. And again, I, I, you know, I am a believer in the system that people should be presumed innocent until found guilty, right? So like, we, you know, Deshaun Watson's got to have his day in court. I mean, he's not going to have his day in court, obviously, because a, now what, what, what helps Deshaun Watson, but I think the system is flawed. Even though I do believe in the system, there's no doubt that the system is flawed because maybe the grand jury was flawed. Uh, You've had Watson. And then, of course, after that, there was with the with uh, Deshaun Watson not being indicted. You had a couple of teams, a couple of suitors that came after him. Uh, Most notably, the Cleveland Browns able to uh, obtain his services, a two hundred and thirty million dollar contract. All of that money guaranteed and the Browns knowing down ultimately on Deshaun Watson and suspend him right decided okay we're only going to make that first year for you 1 million dollars so Deshaun Watson only going to be paid a million dollars during that first year okay in anticipation of the national football league coming down and suspending Watson i don't believe okay that 24 women are all not telling the truth I don't believe that. Um, I think something did happen, and you know, again, when this rule, the, the, when this rule was implemented by the National Football League in terms of player conduct, and players could be suspended if uh, you know, if if if, if the league uh, determined that uh, they did something that, in essence, embarrassed the league. Well, I mean, how many games do you think? And I'm going to be interested to see. Not only how many games Deshaun Watson is ultimately suspended, but I'm also going to be interested to see when the suspensions take place. I mean, some of what I read in this New York Times article was was very bad for Deshaun Watson. Again, a grand jury did decline to indict him. But I, again, I think the system is flawed. I think something did happen to what degree. I don't know. I mean you could look at it its basis as a he said she said kind of situation but I think it's a little bit more than that especially when you have 24 women that are coming forward. I don't know exactly what happened but I mean I'd be interested to see what happens to Watson in terms of how many games the league suspends him, okay? Um and does the league take into account the fact that the Browns structured his contract in such a way that he would, in essence, if he got suspended, lose for this first season, this upcoming season, for however many games, would lose less than a million dollars. Does the league look at that, too, as part of his suspension? Does the league suspend him for a year and a half? Look at Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, if you followed the baseball situation, the pitcher for the Dodgers accused of – you know, a a lot of sexual uh, misconduct and that's saying it lightly compared to what I've I've read Um, suspended two years by major league baseball. Now it's a different, you know, different uh, in in terms of the leagues. No question about that. And and we've seen the league come down soft on, uh, on players for sexual misconduct. We've seen the league come down soft on, uh, are, are on players for uh, bad behavior. I mean, look at Ray Rice for instance. Especially when the video surfaced, I mean, we've seen the league just not get it right. The league's got to get this one right. And I mean, again, you know, y- y- you can make the argument that what if all of or, these women are lying, you know, not telling the truth. I mean, I don't believe that, but let's say. You know, two grand juries decided not to indict. Uh, Maybe the league takes that into account. This situation has continued to get messier and messier. And I thought the whole point of this, what the league implemented some years ago, was you could get suspended for, in essence, embarrassing the league. And this has become an embarrassment. This is an embarrassment uh, to the league. Uh, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know all of what happened. I, I don't know. I again, I don't believe that all 24 of these women are not telling the truth. I've read some of the deposition when when uh, when Sean Watson w- was deposed by the accuser's lawyer. And it really I mean, it really, really, really looks back. The New York Times did a really good job on this piece in terms of detailing All 66 women. So they basically came out. Just give you a little bit of an excerpt uh, to get to the 66 women. Twenty four have sued him. There's a woman who sued, but then withdrew the complaint because of privacy and security concerns. Two women who filed criminal complaints against Watson, but did not sue him. Right. So that's what 26, 27, 15 therapists And And it. And it gets into this whole thing. Like, why do you need all, all of these women are, are, are therapists or supposed to be therapists, 66 different therapists in a 17 month period. Like if you're, if you're, it, this makes Deshaun Watson look terrible. 15 therapists who, who issue statements of support. Now there are that, that have issued support of Watson at the request of his lawyer. you got four therapists, um, uh, that uh, the message therapy group contracted with the Texans. Have, so my point is that the New York Times has broken down all 66 women and um, and and, and accounted, I should say, for all 66 women. Still to come here on Box to Row, more thoughts on the NBA Finals and some comments made by Washington Commanders Defensive Coordinator, Jack Del Rio. Still to come also, we're going to talk from NBA with Mike Wallace, Senior Editor of Grind City Media.
0: Attention, those of you looking to go on a fun vacation and see the world on the cheap. Today, the U.S. dollar is worth even more in other countries. So there's never been a better time to travel outside the USA. The dollar is worth over $1.30 in Canadian dollars. And it's the same for Australia. You can fly there today and have fun and maximize your travel dollar. Your U.S. dollar is worth over $3 in Brazilian reals, and it's worth over $18 in Mexican pesos. Plus, in Argentina, it's worth over $27 in Argentine pesos. Just think of the bargains you'll get. And the way you get the cheapest airfare to any destination is by calling Tickets That Cheap. Save up to 75% on your foreign vacation tickets. Don't wait. Call now. 802 317 1987. 802 317 1987. 802 317 1987. That's 802 317 1987.
2: (laughs)
1: Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at HarlemBeerNC.com.
0: You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to box row. to box to, row. to box to. to you
1: heard? Take it from the top. One, two. My mic sound nice. Check one. My mic sound nice. Check two. My mic. Sound nice. Take three. Are you ready yeah. to, yeah. your to Come here, NBA playoffs, or in, I should say NBA finals and NBA talk with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Also, I tell you what, the, the L.A. Rams seem to have more money than, than they can count. I mean, you know, Aaron Donald gets a big deal. We'll talk about that. Cooper Cup. Gets an extension. We'll talk about that. You know, are the Rams the team to beat or to repeat as Super Bowl champions? I mean, I guess you would have to say so. But we know that it's very, very difficult to repeat as Super Bowl champions. So I would say, yes, they're the team to beat. But will, I guess the, the better question is, can, in fact, the Rams repeat it as Super Bowl champions? I don't know about that. Jack Del Rio. So let me talk about Jack Del Rio. If you hadn't heard the a, a couple of things. First, he called the uh the uh the the January 6th riots on the Capitol a dust up, for which he apologized for. He actually apologized for calling it a dust up. But he stood behind some comments that he made a little bit earlier in the week. Um uh, And that he posted on Twitter. And this is what he posted on Twitter on Monday. Quote, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning and the destruction of personal property is never discussed. But this is. And then he says, hashtag common sense. And when he when he's when he's referring to this, he means. The capital riot, the capital riot. So he's so basically what he's doing is saying, well, why are we making such a big deal about the capital, uh, the January 6th riots and not as big a deal about the looting uh, that happened, the riots, the civil unrest, et cetera, as it relates or as it related to the murder of. George Floyd going back to uh, May of 2020 and I mean I just thought and, it, it, and it's interesting because I had heard about this and then I wanted to kind of catch you know I always like as I tell you all the time I like to catch things in context so I'd heard about this uh, but then I went on the uh, commander's YouTube page and he he talked about it He actually had a press conference and um, he talked about it and he, he at first said he, you know, he, he kind of didn't really want to talk about it, but then he, as they asked him, he said, well, look, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about answer football questions. Right. So then he starts answering football questions. Then towards the end, I mean, I think the, the reporters wanted him to, before he left, kind of wanted him to talk about, you know, his statements, because I, I mean, Is it, I mean, is it just me? Isn't it obvious to you why this is an issue in terms of what Jack Del Rio is saying? Now, maybe it's not, I mean, you know, I I felt a certain kind of way, right? When I heard him make these statements, I really felt a certain kind of way when I heard him make these statements. But again, press conference is getting ready to wrap up. He's talking about the defense and what to expect from whom and all those kind of things. And then unsolicited, He says, quote, why are we not looking into those things? If we're going to talk about it, why are we not looking into those things? And again, when he says in this context, when he says those things, he's talking about the civil unrest from two years ago. He goes on to say, I can look at images on the TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up as I mentioned, he apologized for that at the Capitol, nothing burned down. And we're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards. And if we apply the same standard and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. That's all it was. Let's have a discussion in quote. So, I mean, you know there's obvious i mean there's 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 obvious visuals from this right like most of the rioters on the capitol and, and, and it, first of all it's two different things i mean that's first of all you're talking about an insurrection of the capitol building uh as you could call an insurrection to overthrow the government i mean if you wanted to look at it uh you know from that vantage point right whereas we're talking about it, it's just it's two different things but from the visual standpoint, right? I look at the visuals. I see most of the Capitol rioters are white. I look at the civil unrest. I mean, I'm not even going to say, I mean, there were a lot of black folks that were uh, at the unrest. There's a lot of white folks too, that were doing uh, some of the, you know, committing, perpetrating some of the acts with the, you know, breaking glass of the businesses and so forth. So, I think this is a bad look, an extremely bad look as it relates to Jack Del Rio. The reporters, I mean, came out and asked him, well, look, you've got, you know, I felt a certain kind of way about this situation. And I felt this was a, a a situation of race. And further, if you're the commanders, you're trying to rebuild your image and all this stuff you've had and all the. Now you've got your defensive coordinator. First of all, why is the defensive coordinator even talking about anything like this? Yes, he has a right to his opinion. He can say what he wants. He's an individual. But to me, he comes off as a selfish ball player because this is an organization that's trying to repair its image. And you come out and make comments like this. And I, and from some of what I read, you know, even Jonathan Allen, the star defensive tackle for the commanders, came out and said, hey, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. You know, Ron Rivera said the same thing, but I got—I—I I mean, you got to know. I mean, just from him coming out with the apology of even—I don't know. I mean, I guess you know it's not really much of an apology. Uh, I just—you know—for me, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, when I when I hear somebody say that, I'm like, I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it, you know, the, I guess the thing for me is, why did Jack Del Rio? feel the need to say that. Does he have the right to say it? Sure, he does. Uh, He is the defensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders, but at the end of the day, first and foremost, he is Jack Del Rio. He's his own man. He's his own person. I mean, I definitely get all of that. But, I mean, you got to know that there's going to be some backlash behind that, which there was a lot of backlash behind that. No question. Now, the... The commanders may not be saying this publicly. I mean, I think it, when I looked at the when I looked at the, the press conference and that's why I always say that context matters. Like Kendall Fuller, the one of the corners for the commanders, they asked him, well, did you you know, what do you what do you make of the comments that Del Rio said on Twitter? He said he didn't see the comments, which I think uh, maybe he didn't read verbatim. He said I didn't see them, I didn't see them on Twitter. I mean, certainly he heard about it. I'm sure he was prepped prior to, and maybe he didn't read the comments, but when someone actually read the comments to him, you know, he said, well, uh, I mean, he didn't really have a comment at the moment. Um, And if if he did, it would be something that he would address with Del Rio personally. So, I mean, I get all of that, but I think that, you know, again, if you're the commanders, right, and you just had the name change, you're going through this thing, all of this stuff with with Daniel Schneider, he's essentially been muted uh, as the owner. His his wife, Tanya, is now the you know, running the face of the organization when you're talking about decisions at the highest level being made. Um, you know, you've got these allegations, these federal allegations against the of of improprieties with the Washington commanders as far as money is concerned. I mean, it's just a lot. I mean, to the point that we haven't heard much of this, but. Um, to the point that, you know, it, it may come a time when the owners may make a vote uh, as as to whether Daniel Snyder should continue to own the commanders. I think we're a little bit far away from that. And I don't know that the support is there for something like that, um, because this is that ownership is a brotherhood. And a lot of these guys, you know, think, the same way and there's the camaraderie there and they, these guys are you know these owners are rich beyond measure in a lot of respects. so you know to vote somebody else out a fellow owner uh would would in essence be saying that the owners never have ma- have never done anything wrong or made a mistake so i mean i don't know if we will ever come to that point but if you're the commanders any little misstep like this this is a misstep Again, it's a misstep by Jack del Rio because you're trying to uh, portray, if you're the commanders, you've you've made you've gone through the full name change. Now we went from the Washington Redskins for all of those years to the Washington football team for that year and a half, whatever it was, and now to the commanders. So we've made a full transition to the commanders. Uh, and you know, you had the the deal with 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 the with the federal situation. and now, I mean, this, you know, this pales in comparison to <laughs> what's happening from a federal standpoint with the commanders, but it's just another thing that's negative in the news. And again, he's Jack Del Rio at the end of the day, but his title for this team says defensive coordinator, and it's just another negative situation that goes against the Washington commanders. Your thoughts, I mean, do you, how do you feel about and if you, if you care, maybe you don't care. Um, but what do you think about the comments that Jack Del Rio made comparing the civil unrest after the George Floyd murder to the January 6th riot on the Capitol? Hit me up via Twitter at Toro B O X T O R. O-W. Still, to come here on the box to row, the Rams are the Rams, the Super Bowl favorites, the defending champions. Are they the, the favorites to win it again in 2022? Plus, gonna talk some more NBA finals up next. Gonna be joined by Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. You've got it locked to the program. We're going to switch gears a little bit, talk some NBA. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, has been covering the NBA for a very, very long time. And one of the things for our new listeners that we also got to put out there, uh, Mike just has just completed his sixth season as the senior editor of Grind City Media, covers the Memphis Grizzlies. But not only that, Mike is a proud, grambling state Alum, as he joins us here in the program. What's going on, Mike?
2: Hey, you know that. I'm glad you put that out there for for sure, man. I'm a proud Grambling State alum. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be covering this league uh for many, many years, man. And we go, we go all the way back, man, to, to when we both were uh, scratching around in these small press boxes, man, trying to get our names out there and, and get to the point where we are now. So it's good to be back with you every time I come on. D.
1: Absolutely, Mike. Of course, uh, he's referencing. Uh, when he was the uh, the beat writer for Florida A and M for the, the Tallahassee Democrat, I was uh, I was in athletic administration at North Carolina A and T. So we do go back a long way. Uh, what did this series, this series between the Celtics and the um, and the uh, Warriors, wh- where did you where did you see this series playing out? Obviously, the Celtics have you know sort of put themselves in good position, but initially, no matter you know aside of where we are now. How did you foresee this series ultimately playing out before it started?
2: You know, I said from the beginning when the series started that, you know, you're talking about the best defensive team uh, since January. Um, the Boston Celtics were clearly the best defensive team in the league since January, and Golden State was the best offensive team uh, in the league coming through the postseason and coming down the stretch. Um, so you had two marquee teams that did it different ways. Um, they're phenomenal on the wings uh, in terms of the kind of talent that they have with you know, Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart on one side. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Clay Steph and and Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green and Otto Port. I mean, you just had tremendous wings um, in this series. Everyone is interchangeable. Everyone switches defensively. Everyone, you know, can can do a lot of things versatility wise uh, with the basketball. So you you looked at these clearly, this is the cream of the crop when you talk about where the league is right now um, from a health standpoint. And, Both of these teams are pretty much still in their prime. Boston is on the younger end of their prime. They're just entering sort of their prime area. Golden State is on the peak end or the other side of the mountain now coming off of their prime to a certain extent. Um, And it's a classic matchup, man. So I felt like it was going to be a great one. Um, For the most part, these games have been compelling. And, you know, I said it from the beginning. I felt like Boston was the team that was going to win it in six, but my heart was pulling for Golden State. And that still continues to be the case even as we've reached this stage of the series.
1: No doubt. And you know what the Celtics have been able to do? I mean, I think, you know, I think even if you go back to game, if you go back to game one, I, think, I thought Golden State ran out of gas. Game three, they maybe not so much, but you saw the Celtics really dig down and dig deep in that fourth quarter, use their size, just really dominating. Um, plus, not only that, you're talking about a much younger team and two guys that are, what, under 25, uh, and then you're talking about a Warriors team, even though it has experience, you're talking about a Warriors team that, you know, where the, the prime players have some age on them a little bit, if you will. Yeah, you do. You do. You do. And, and, and but they're
2: still like, you know, the Golden State Warriors, they age well uh, because they shoot the ball so well. Like, you know, I mean, guys continue to get, uh, be great shooters well into their 20, late 20s, early 30s, and even late 30s. I mean, you know, those guys don't, you know, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Jason Kidd was a guy that couldn't shoot the ball at all when he first got into the league. I mean, you gave him the 15-foot jumper, and, you know, you dared him to shoot. He could do a lot of other things with the ball. But as he became a better shooter, um, he got older and became a better shooter. And, and he became a knockdown shooter. And you see that with big guys, too. Patrick couldn't shoot the ball at all, you know, coming out of Georgetown. Then he became one of the best turnaround jump shooters that we've seen in the league. So those are two extreme examples. I'm talking about two of the most elite shooters we've ever seen in this league. So their game ages pretty well that's why they can open their window a lot longer uh, than some of these other teams that rely solely on athleticism. Um, and, and in Boston, man, these guys have been they, – they've been good a long time. You realize how young they are, but Boston has been in this discussion in the Eastern Conference Finals mix for quite some time. And this was a team that got almost got there, should have got there, you know, years ago when they had, you know, the young Isaiah Thomas, the, 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 the smaller Isaiah Thomas, and then they had Kyrie Irving and couldn't get over the hump. So these guys, Brown and Tatum, have been knocking on the door for a minute. um, And now they're finally looking like they're ready for their breakthrough.
1: Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, knows the NBA inside and out. He joins us here on the program as we talk uh, some NBA finals and some NBA. Let's switch gears a little bit, Mike. I want to talk about uh, the hiring of Darvin Ham by the Lakers. You've been covering the league a very long time. First of all, I want to get your thoughts on that hiring.
2: You know, it, it was it was it was surprising in a sense. You know, this was a team that, when you stack up, <laughs> you stack up all of these veterans and all of these guys in their late thirties and, and pushing, you know, well past the point of their primes of their careers. And then you bring in a rookie coach. That doesn't seem like a great mix um, to me on the surface. It doesn't seem like, you know, you're giving a guy, you know, you're putting Darvin Ham in a tough, tough, tough situation, uh, especially with so many questions about who's running the front office and how you know, what kind of influence there is. And, you know, it's it's it, it reminds me a lot of a situation where, you know, David Fisdale when he first came to Memphis, I mean, it, it sounded well and he had a lot of these great connections. He was respected. They was you know, considered a no nonsense guy and he he's a straight shooter. But then when the rubber hit you know, when the rubber hits the road and, and things start getting hot, you know, you gotta look around and wonder who's listening to who and can you command the locker room and can you command you know, the attention of your front office and have them respect what you want to do. So, and vice versa, um, this is going to be a tough situation, man. I I don't know if I would have wanted this uh, job, you know, as, as if I'm Darvin Ham, but there are only 30 of these jobs in the world. And, and when you have a chance to coach one of the most glamorous franchises that's out there, you don't turn it down because in his case, he had to get, you know, doors closed on him a number of different times before he even got this door open to him. So, I'm hoping for the best. I'm I'm hoping that this is more of a uh, Ime Udoka uh, situation um, where he steps in and has some success with a veteran group, so to speak, and and had the strong front office behind him, more so than than some of these other places where I see guys get in there and get run out pretty quickly.
1: Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. What do you you think he's going to be able to do? What do you make of his comments uh, with respect to Russell Westbrook specifically as a guy that uh, uh, they, you know, I guess he sees as a guy that is going to make more of a commitment to the defensive uh, side of the ball.
2: And and he's right. He's right. But he also came in with respect for Russell Westbrook, too, because he said, listen, this is one of the greatest players of all time, and he's going to go down, you know, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm coaching a guy that, you know, yeah, he's a mercurial figure, but he's also a guy that that understands – that his legacy is at stake right now. And, and Darvin Ham's primary job is to figure out a way, as long as Russell Westbrook is on that roster, uh, to activate him and to get him back to being an effective basketball player. And how do you do that? You challenge him in ways that, okay, listen, how do you get Russell Westbrook to his best game? His best game is in the open court where he can use what's left of that athleticism is still at an elite level um, and get easy baskets and get into the paint. Uh, you don't want to run a half-court offense with Russell Westbrook. So how do you initiate pace? How do you initiate up-tempo offense? You've got to be better on the defensive end. You've got to create turnovers, live ball turnovers. You've got to be great in the transition game to go from quick defense to quicker offense. And if you can get Russell Westbrook going up and down like that, then you allow him to unlock some of the things that were, uh, you know, that, 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 that made him that, you know, MVP of the league and triple-double king and all of those kind of things that he was just a few ha- handful of years ago.
1: So let me switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the team you cover, the Grizzlies, who, you know, through four games against the Warriors could have easily been up three games to one. We could easily be talking about the, war, the, uh, the Grizzlies uh, against the Celtics in the NBA Finals. What it? What I mean? What are the Grizzlies? don't
2: tease me that way, man. Don't tease me like that, man.
1: But, but but you know you know what I mean. I mean, like they were right there in a lot of games. Probably should have won a lot of those games. But I mean, what do you what do you make uh, or what do you think the Grizzlies need in terms of taking it to that next step, that next level? You know, experience. This was the experience that they needed. They needed to get
2: the experience from a series against a team that's done it before, that won championships. You know, at the end of the day, you look at the Golden State Warriors and you, look, you lose to them in six games and you say, you know what, we, I lost to a three-time NBA champion, a dynasty, a team that, you know, frankly, think about it, John ja Morant grew up watching Steph Curry play basketball, you know what I'm saying? Golden State was dominating when half the Grizzlies' rosters were still in middle school, you know what I mean? And, and, and you know, when they first started making their runs and all of those kind of things in 2015. You know, again, the Grizzlies are the second youngest team in the NBA. You know, only one player on the roster was older than 28. So when you look at the core of the Desmond Baines, the John Morant, the Jaron Jackson Juniors, uh, you know, the, the Zaire Williams, all of these guys are 22, 23, and 20 years old. So you, you subtract six years from that or seven years from that, and you're talking about guys that were just getting to high school when, when Steph Curry and those guys were on the ascent to being a great team. So you lose to a team like that, you're fine. But the question was, what do they need? Experience as best teacher, a little bit of humility, um, and the fact is you need to be healthy. And and maybe one more wing player that can get you over the hump uh, from a defensive standpoint. And if you could do that, and those are all things that the Grizzlies have within their reach. They're well positioned in the salary cap. They have two first-round picks this year, another two next year, um, and they have their best three players all under contract, under rookie-scale contracts. So they have everything lined up to get even better next year if they can avoid any kind of setback with an injury. So they'll be there. They're, they're about two years ahead of schedule right now, and that gives them the hunger to want to get right back to where they were, and that was just one step away from their Western Conference Finals.
1: Check out his great work at grindcitymedia.com. Also follow him on Twitter at My Mike check. He is Mike Wallace. He is the senior editor of Grind City Media. joins us here on the program Mike, appreciate the time, man. Uh, You know, I guess you you don't really have any much time off, but it seemed like you're getting off a little bit earlier these days. So kind of enjoy that, (laughs) man, and we'll talk with you real soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I definitely appreciate it, D. You got it, Mike. We appreciate you. Up next here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, Morgan State introduced its new head football coach this morning, His name is Damon Wilson. You're going to know him as the very successful head football coach formerly now at Bowie State, and he joins us next.
2: Boxgerow.com is your source for conversations with and content on some of the biggest names in sports, HBCU sports,
3: and entertainment.
0: Boxgerow.com. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with
2: Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM.
1: Let's continue here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Earlier this morning, as a matter of fact, Morgan State held a press conference to introduce its new head football coach, and that new head football coach is on the line, but he's no stranger to this program. Twelve seasons as the head football coach, at Bowie State, so much success. Turn that program around, no question about it, is defending CIAA champions uh, three years over. And uh, now, again, the new head football coach at Morgan State is Damon Wilson, who joins us here on Pox to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Coach Wilson, congratulations. Welcome back to the program.
3: Brother Will, I appreciate you, man. It's an exciting time,
1: and uh, I appreciate you covering the Bears. Uh, oh, always. You Now, you know I'm a Morgan State alum, so you know I'm – I mean, listen, I'm happy. It's two things here. Like, I'm happy for you, no, having known you for so many years, and then you're also at the alma mater, which, you know, quite frankly, uh, has struggled uh, for for many, many years now.
3: Hey, I'm, I'm excited to hear that information. I know we'll definitely get uh, some coverage uh, by you and, and, and the family, and I'm excited to be the head coach there, man. It's, it's going to be a good time.
1: Yeah. In the press, I had a chance to watch uh, the press conference and you mentioned the fact that, hey, you, you know, you had all the success in the world. Bowie State's your alma mater and you had had some other offers to coach some other places, but you were waiting for the right opportunity. And this was the right opportunity for you. Why, in fact, was it the right opportunity to be the head coach at Morgan State?
3: I think a lot has to do with the administration. You know, I had a great conversation with Dr. Wilson and Ms. Dina, the new athletic director, and I really like the direction that they're trying to move the football program. And uh, from a timing standpoint, I think it, it made sense. I don't have to, you know, move the family or relocate. Uh, and it's also my wife's alma mater, so it gives me an opportunity to to, to to
1: do the same things we did at Bowie at Morgan and to kind of keep it in the family, if you will. Yeah. So with that being said, I mean, are you able to share maybe some of the other opportunities you've had? Along the way until you finally got the opportunity that you were looking for. You no, know, some of those opportunities were you know Division II as well as some other FCS uh,
3: opportunities, but I don't want to you know call any names right now. But it just didn't wasn't the right time or right fit for
1: me at that time. No question about that. So I mean, what you know, what do you see? I mean, what what is it about? I mean, you mentioned you know you mentioned that, that there's a new athletics director there, David Wilson as the pre- president. No question. Um, about it, but I mean, I think you seem to think that there's, you know, there's a uh, this is a diamond Morgan State sort of like a diamond in the rough, if you will.
3: Uh, without a doubt, the difference is, you know, Morgan State has a has has a tradition there. It's, it's some it's some Hall of Famers that played on a football field, so they have some, uh, a legacy there that we just pretty much need to bring back to, to light. You know, we've been down for some years, and I'm quite sure there are a lot of factors that play into that. And I know some coaches that were here, coaches at Morgan, and uh, I spoke to a number of those guys. And that's uh, definitely a place I feel that we could be successful at uh, by doing this thing the right way. And I'm excited about necessarily recruiting uh, the DMV area and also bringing in talent from a national
1: uh, standpoint. And I think we'll we'll be in great shape. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because then I looked up and down your over the years, really, but I think more specifically maybe, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the last five years or so, I mean, you you've had players from Baltimore, and Baltimore's not necessarily known as a football-playing city. Although it's becoming better that way, it's more known uh, as basketball. But you were able to recruit quite a few players from Baltimore uh, to to Bowie State, including your stud inside tackle, who's uh, was an absolute monster. Um, you know, t- talk about that, and maybe uh, you know, Baltimore is a is a place that uh, uh, where football is becoming a little bit more prevalent.
3: There's some good football being played in Baltimore. One thing about the Baltimore guys, they're going to be grimy. They're going to be gritty. Those guys aren't going to complain. They're going to get after it. And you need that on your football pro- in, in your football program. Academically, those guys will be sound, and uh, they'll buy into what you're selling. And they believe in family. They believe in having a, a family support system. The city of Baltimore rallies behind, rallies behind one another, and that's why I want to be the college football program in, of Baltimore and uh, we will definitely recruit the Baltimore community and the, you know the high schools there, and we're going to have some guys on our team that uh, can help us win the championship uh, from
1: Baltimore. Damon Wilson just introduced today officially as the new head football coach at Morgan State. He joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Even though this was a job was the job. Uh, for you, and I and I think you even mentioned in the press conference, if I had to, it's not like you were looking to leave Bowie State. You said, if I had to leave Bowie, this was uh, the job. How difficult was it to leave your alma mater in Bowie State and what you had built there for 12 seasons?
3: It was extremely difficult, uh, and it was difficult because of our student athletes, man. Those guys, man, we really have a, a family bond. Uh, our administrator, Dr. Bro, and the athletic director, Clyde Dowdy, did everything in their power, to you know, try to keep me at buoy, and after a certain conversations with some of the players, it made me you know my mind at ease a little bit in making the uh, decision to leave. And those guys uh, uh, assured me that hey, coach, you poured enough into us, you put a lot into us, and if you're interested in, in taking the next opportunity, go turn the program around. And for you to hear 19 19- and 20 year olds say that and able to process this situation like they did, I think uh, you know our work that we do- have had done there. Wasn't done in vain, so therefore I was really blessed to have the guy's support. But it was definitely difficult because that university
1: has done so much for me, not just uh, professionally but also personally as well. Obviously, you look at you look at Bowie State uh, Division Two. You turned it into a power. Um, the, the, you know, you have a obviously a major difference in terms of divisions between Bowie State and Morgan State. But I would venture to say one of the similarities for you specifically is the fact that when. When you took over that job at, at Bowie State, even though B- Bowie had even before it ha- had some success, but but not really. It hadn't been a, a really a, a good program And the same thing here uh, with Morgan State. So that said, what are some of the do you take some of what you did at Bowie State when you first got there in terms of uh, turning the program around and some success and, and take sort of that blueprint to Morgan?
3: Uh, indeed, and one thing about it, when I took over at Bowie, I didn't necessarily have a, a a a firm blueprint. You know, I had a lot of ideas, I had a lot of good people around me, uh, and we had some success at Preview. Uh, so I was able to put some things together to create uh, how we were going to flip that program at Bowie. Now, and I have a reference point. I have a reference point from a university that, you know, I was just right down the street from where I'm currently at now. So that's really going to help me navigate through the different challenges and hurdles that we must overcome at Morgan State University. The good thing about Division Two and Division One, the field is the same. You know, the, the width of the field, the length of the field is the same. So if we do a good job putting game plans together and bringing the right type of student-athletes in the program,
1: I believe we can have the same success. Damon Wilson, the new head football coach at Morgan State, joins us here on the program. Something that just kind of struck me, I mean – you've already the thing about it and, and you talked about this in your press conference uh, in terms of the high school you said, hey, we need everybody on board. we need you know we know the the administration's on board. we need the alumni uh, to come on board. We need the fans uh, to come back or to really come on board. The thing about it, uh, you've you already have an imprint in Baltimore, an imprint in the DMV area to be able to recruit and now, be, maybe because you're at a Division One level, the, you you already have sort of that in place, and the coaches in the high school at the high schools in the area know you, and that should be a a a benefit to you being able to recruit at Morgan State.
3: Oh, without a doubt, and a number of those high school coaches had already called me uh, when it went public that I received the job, and we're going to draw a fence around you know around our area, and we're going to make sure those guys that were going to other FCS programs stay at home now. You know, and that's something that we're kind of binding uh, together to do as, as within this culture fraternity to make sure we get that done. You know, as you mentioned, have a number of relationships, and the guys understand that. And, boy, we graduated their guys at a high level. And, boy, we we had an opportunity to win championships and compete nationally. And we can do those same things on the FCS level with their uh, with their support and their student athletes.
1: What are some of the challenges you think? And I know you're just kind of getting in there. I mean, I, I understand that. But what are some of the the challenges uh, you think are are presented with taking this this uh, new job as the head football coach at Morgan State.
3: I mean, one one thing that stands out to me, and I've only been on campus for a few days, is just a lot of times people don't believe something until they see it. So you know you have to change the mindset of folks on the campus. I'm talking about custodial workers. I'm talking about the the grounds crew. Everyone, you know, we we have to have a championship atmosphere and a championship mindset. And a lot of times, we like you said, people don't believe it until they see it. So I'm asking everybody, man, to throw any negative thought you may have encountered or dealt with with regards to Morgan State football. Throw the negativity away, and let's look at what we're going to do from a positive standpoint moving forward. So that's something I've been preaching on campus for the few days that I've been there. Uh, but we, we have to change our mindset. Once we change our mindset, we'll see a change on, on the scoreboard as well.
1: Couple of more thoughts with Damon Wilson, the new head football coach at Morgan State. He is the HBCU uh, Co-Coach of the Year. Uh, as a matter of fact, reigning. What What are some of the the more memorable, um, th- some of the the more memorable times, if you will, that you would have had uh, at Bowie State? Whether it was during your three championship uh, runs, I, I remember when you first got that job, and it was a lot of se- <laughs> you know, Coach, was just a lot of six and five, six and five, six and five? It was a mm-hmm. lot of six and five seasons before you mm-hmm. kind of broke through. So what are some of your, your most memorable times at Bowie State?
3: Just spending time with my guys, man. Just having an opportunity to watch these young men develop and to really build a program. And as you mentioned, you know, we, we talk about the championships, I mean, because those are the most, those most recent uh, uh, success points, if you will. But it was a process. You know, it was a process. And we had some guys that played in 09 when I first got there that we lost the championship game by three points against Fayetteville. Those guys started this the whole program change, if you will. You know, those guys really they didn't get a ring to show for it. 2010 or 11 team, they get a ring to show for it. But they were part of that process that, that, that now is Bowie State football. And uh, that's something that I – we never cheated that process. You know, we embraced the process. And that's something that I'm, I'm really – really proud of uh and to receive phone calls and text messages from those guys now some of those guys are married some have kids now that let me know that we did it the right way 13 years ago you know and, and that's what really means a lot to me we've graduated over hundreds of young men and uh, like I said those guys are doing well so that just having that family atmosphere and then knowing we impacted the guys in a positive light that's something that I'm most uh proud of right now
1: you know, you've got to cram eight months into two. In other words, generally, these type of things happen December the previous year. You're getting in here on today, uh, the June, uh, June 10th. So how, how do you sort of accelerate that that process, if you will, uh, as you begin to start your, you know, start your camp in August?
3: I think we got to take advantage of the time that we do have. We can't focus on what we don't have. I think you know I, I, I've heard some people say trying to do the impossible immediately, and that's something that uh, you know I kind of <laughs> live by, if you will. Uh, a lot of folks don't think certain things can happen, but as long as you keep your mind open and you put your put, put some work in, you'll you'll be in good shape. So we're not going to focus on hey, we should have made the hire in April or should have made it in, in in January. We're not going to go there. We're going to take these two months and these twenty four hours and each day and take advantage of that time to be prepared for when the ball is kicked off in September.
1: Last thought, what have you said to the players, to your current players?
3: My bottom line, whatever you think you've done and you think you've done enough, it's time to do more. And uh, so I'm challenging all those guys to do more lifting, more running, more studying. Whatever they think they've done, and they think they've made it or they've done enough, I've challenged each one just to do some more because you're going to have a coaching staff that's going to be
1: willing and able to do more so we can uh, get this train back on the track. Damon Wilson, again, introduced today as the new head football coach at Morgan State the previous 12 seasons as the head football coach at Bowie State. He is the HBCU co-coach of the year. He joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Coach Wilson, really appreciate the time. Uh, Good luck to you and the Morgan State Bears this year. By the way, I appreciate you covering us. I think Damon Wilson's going to do a really good job there. He's already connected with the high school coaches just in that area. You slap on the fact that he's now in the FCS, the success he had at Bowie State. I think he's going to do a phenomenal job. I think it's a great hire for Morgan State. Got to get ready to run. Thank you to Damon Wilson. Thank you to Mike Wallace for joining us today here on Box to Row. We're bringing back the HBCU Football Daily Podcast on July 18th. Make a note of that. You can find the podcast on our website at BoxToRow.com or wherever you get your podcasts as well. So make a note of that. For more information on the program, log on to our website. Once again, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Yo, Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by DW Communications.